Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 13 to 21 this morning. 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 to 21. One of the joys it's been is to walk as you guys, whatever you preach here on Sunday morning, uh, we're following right behind you on Sunday night. Um, we've done that so that opportunities like this present themselves. I can re-preach this tonight, but then also it's been a joy to have like Spencer and John come over. Um, so I feel it's good when I walk into this. I've kind of been walking this journey with you through First John. It's not like I'm just standing up here um, and kind of joining you in the journey. So we're going we're gonna to move this morning as we go through this. But it's beautiful how God's word works together. Amen? How all of scripture is inspired and God breathed. And therefore it all works together beautifully um, and speaks truth no matter when it was written and to what generation it goes. But it still is speaking today. And so as we open God's word, I want to just direct our attention I'm just going to go right to the, the second slide there, just for sake of time. And I want to start in 2 Corinthians 13.5. And this is where Paul, this is 50 years before our First John passage. Um, if you can hit the next slide, this is um, uh, Paul writing 2 Corinthians 13.5. He's going to write it in the ESV. Uh, I'm going to read it in the ESV. I was going to read it in three different versions. But let me just, let me just start with this verse. 2 Corinthians 13.5, don't need to turn there. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, period. Then the question, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Examine yourselves to look closely, to identify, to test purposefully, and we as believers should be able, if we, if we carry out this verse, to examine ourselves, test ourselves, should be able to clearly understand our position in Christ. You know, our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is why John wrote this, and this is why Paul is exhorting the Corinthian church 50 years earlier, should be one of clarity and mission, not confusion and mystery. It really should be. Our faith should be one of clarity and mission, not confusion and mystery. And unfortunately, because of the confusion that is always around us, much of our time is spent trying to figure out what is true. And it was no different back then. Paul was writing out a concern for the Corinthian believers with a call to action. And our faith is not inactive. It's always active, always moving forward, always examining, looking at ourselves. And this flies in the face, okay? This literally flies in the face of the attitude of much of, of Christendom today, where salvation is like this flippant thing that is like a momentary thing, and then we look at salvation with, with no ramifications for the rest of our life, where, yeah, I'm saved, and now I can kind of just do whatever I want. And that's how we look at salvation. And we kind of have this entitled view to God's goodness. But this call right here is test yourself, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. So 50 years later, okay, and that's where we come to 1 John now, 50 years later after Paul wrote that to the church 
of Corinth. Paul is no longer alive. He has been martyred, uh, more specifically decapitated by Nero in Rome. Paul is, is not on the scene anymore. And here we have this beautiful, inspired scripture where he's writing. If you saw the map there just a moment, a moment ago, Paul's writing in Corinth. And here, right across the pond, or the Aegean Sea, we have this letter that's going out to the seven churches in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And he's writing this to say, with the same pastor's heart, say, let me, let me clarify things for you. Let me make it clear. You know, not much has changed in the church today. The struggle is the same. The same struggle that Paul was calling the believers to examine themselves. And now through 1 John, it's almost as if John comes along after and says, you know what Paul reminded you of to examine yourselves? Like, he was actually writing to the churches that Paul planted. How cool is that? You talk about church planning. Now John is writing to the churches to say, let, let me give you a tool. And it's almost like 1 John is like handing a magnifying glass to the believer saying, like, you can do this. Let, let me give you a framework by which when you really look closely at the scriptures and your lives, you should be able to tell that you are in genuine faith and that the people sitting around you in the church, you know, we're allowed to judge one another. We don't like, amen? Thank you. Like, like, like look to your right and look to your left. Thank you. Yeah, left. Wait. Okay, I don't know if I did that right. But scriptures call us to examine one another and examine each other in the faith to see, man, are we genuine? So this whole, the, the thesis of this whole book as we get into this is the struggle of the same. First John 5.13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's what this all is about, that you may know that you have eternal life. So why is it so hard to know? Why? Why is it so hard to know? Because doubt is grown in the soil of bad theology. That's, that's where it comes out of, the soil of bad theology. And, and in this modern day, there is a lot, a lot of bad soil out there where things, truths are coming, where did God say that? Is that really what Jesus meant? Think about Genesis 3. How was Eve attacked? Did God really say? Did God really say? Doubt started to creep in. Then he goes, that's not what God said. Then, then straight out distortion of what God's word really says. And so this wrestling match, this constant struggle is going on today. Paul showed us confidence, what confidence looked like in the scriptures. I mean, what, what a cool thing to think of Paul as a missionary. Wolf, well, thanks for sharing. Isn't it neat, encouraging to hear that discipleship is happening around the world? So many times we get stuck in our church bubbles where, man, we want to be passionate about discipleship. But then you have... People from the Philippines come and share. We're living life, literally 24-7 discipleship as parents. You have Rachel coming home from Honduras sharing. I've just been a disciple forever, and it's been challenging, and it's been tough, but I'm here. Isn't it an encouragement to hear what God's doing? But when you think about Paul as a missionary, Romans 8, 38 and 39, he said, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Does Paul sound like a confident individual there? Yes, he does. And that is the exact same confidence that we're going to unpack this morning in our passage. At some point in every believer's life, you hit a wall. Now, sometimes there are little walls that over time get harder and harder to climb. But every believer hits a wall at some point in their life. Some of them are theological, where you just, how do I get over that? My feelings, my emotions are telling me this. 
Some of them are circumstantial, just the straight up life things that happen. Where you hit this wall and you go, God, I need some supernatural intervention right now to get over this wall. And that's what John lays out for us is these beautiful divine truths that when we hit those walls, we have something to grab onto to climb up and get over whatever wall that is. So just a quick review. There's been three clear tests that we've, t- we've touched on throughout 1 John. Number one has been doctrinal tests. If you are a genuine believer, your belief will change. It's not just about, it's not just about professing faith. You have to actually have to possess faith, okay? A lot, of us, a lot of people profess that they're a follower of Jesus Christ, but then when it comes to passing the test that Scripture gives us, they flunk. Big F, okay? There's no F plus. It's just an F, okay? They flunk. And so there's a doctrinal test. You will believe Jesus is the Son of God. Then there's moral tests, right? We've been going through these. Don't have time to unpack all these, but... If you love me, you will keep my what? Commandments. That's been through this whole letter that was written. Then the love test. If you love God and claim Christ, you will love God and his children, period. It'll be challenging. It'll be tough, but you will love God and his people, and this love will be perfected in you the longer you walk with Christ. And so that's a broad overview. The clear tests can be seen in our lives. But then here's the beautiful part of today's passage. There's also clear tests, but then there's also clear results. And we all love results, don't we? We all love results. Results are rewarding, amen? Like when you, ha- when you finally reach that goal weight and you've been eating like kale for three months and you finally hit it and you're like, oh, I can do this. I can discipline my eating. I can do it. When you finally finish your favorite do-it-yourself home project that's taken you a year to plan and a year to implement and a year to actually do um, you sit back and you go, I do have a little Chip and Joanna in me. Like, I can do this. Like, I'm, I, I can fix up houses, okay? And it's like a piece of shiplap above your toilet or something, you know? It's very minimal. But results, okay, when your child finally behaviorally changes and you've encouraged them and built them up and said, please say thank you. And they say thank you. <sighs> I could be a parent, Maybe. You know, there's these results. Results are beautiful, and it's no different in our spiritual lives. When we have results, it's this beautiful divine gift that God gives to say, you are mine. Look what I am doing. It's not, it's not your results. It's God's results, but they're clear, and you can, you can almost mark them down through your life to say, yeah, God's doing stuff. It's real. God's real. So here we just see some beautiful results as we go into and our faith becomes sight as we have results. So here we go. 1 John 4, 13 to 21. I'm going to focus most of our attention in verses 17 and 18, but let me read verses 13 to 16. By this we know, verse 13 says, that we abide in him and he in us because he has given given us of his spirit. Verse 14, and we have seen and testify that, that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. Man, have we heard that word? God abides in him, and he in God. Verse 16, so we have come to know, to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Quick overview, it's, it's almost like John's recapping what he's already gone through. Like, what, what is true, genuine faith? Verse 13, the Spirit opens our eyes. 
The Spirit's first job is to reveal the need for the cross in the lives of somebody. So it's an intellectual, yet I know, like I have 100% no doubt, the Spirit has drawn, draws us to God, and our eyes are open. That's why you can't force salvation on somebody. You, you can't do it. It has to be a Spirit-led thing. Now, we can take them there and say, Spirit, work now, please, God. Do something, intervene. But the Spirit opens so that they know. Verse 14 do you understand and believe the gospel then? So how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? Well, if you understand the gospel and it's real in your life, that's how you know. Because the Spirit has shown it to you. Because without the Holy Spirit, the gospel is nonsense. God hardens the hearts of those that don't understand the gospel. So if you understand that Christ died for you, you are genuine. And then how do I really know that I understand the gospel? Because you will love. Verses 15 and 16 recap that again. You will love as God loves, agape love, supernatural love, not cheesy Western world love, but true, genuine God love. Remember, Christian life is one of clarity and mission. And so the Spirit draws to salvation. The gospel begins the work of transformation. And then we come to verse 17. And this is where I'm just going to hang and we'll finish up in verse 17 and 18. Verse 17. By this is love perfected with us. So by all we just said, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. That right there is one of the most powerful statements in all of scripture. You want to talk about a confidence booster as he is, so also are we. So who is he? Jesus Christ. So just as Jesus Christ lived in the world, so are we. Who is we? The believers of Jesus Christ. So just as he lived his life, so also can we live the same way. Oh, I've heard that my whole life. Brian, you just need to be more like Jesus. Just be like Jesus. Right? We all heard that? But when you get to the actual practical of how do you live that out and how do you do it, what an encouraging verse. Because as he is, Jesus, so, is also, so also are we in this world. It's a stunning statement. It's a powerful statement. It's one that we can hold to. It's a result of actually having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we can actually literally be like Jesus as he walked on this earth. And so for sake of time, I'm just going to bring us two summary statements, okay? Two summary statements about Jesus' life. Yes, he was divine. He was fully God, fully man. But there's two things that can be said, whether you believe in Jesus or not. Um, there's two things that can be said about Jesus. Number one, Jesus confidently lived life. He confidently lived life. And number two, Jesus fearlessly faced death. Fearlessly faced death. Would all of us say that's true? Why was Jesus was on the earth for 33 years, 33 and a half years. I'm 33 years old. There's a reason that Jesus is still not forgotten to this day, why he had such an impact on people that when they went out and experienced Jesus, they went out and changed the world. It's because he did these two things. Because like, it was different than anybody else. It was powerful. So as Jesus lived confidently and even died fearlessly, also, so also can we. just want to read an article that was uh, put out last Christmas. It says, most people when they retire get a gold watch. James Harrison deserves so much more than that. Harrison, known as the man with the golden arm, has donated blood nearly every week for 60 years. After all those donations, the 81-year-old Australian man retired Friday. 
The occasion marked the end of a monumental chapter. According to the Australian Red Cross Blood Service, he has helped save the lives of more than 2.4 million Australian babies. Harrison's blood has unique disease-fighting antibodies that have been used to develop an injective called anti-D, which helps fight against rhesus disease. This disease is a condition where a pregnant woman's blood actually starts attacking her unborn child. In the worst cases, it can result in brain damage or death for the babies. Harrison's remarkable gift of giving started when he had a major chest surgery when he was just 14, the Australian Red Cross Blood Service said. Blood donations saved his life, so he pledged to become a blood donor. A few years later, doctors discovered his blood contained the antibody, which could be used to create anti-D injections. So he switched over to making blood plaza donations to help as many people as possible. Doctors aren't sure exactly why Harrison has this rare blood type, but they think it might be from the transfusions he received when he was 14 after surgery. Every bag of blood is precious, but James' blood is particularly extraordinary. His blood is actually used to make the life-saving medication given to moms whose blood is at risk of attacking their unborn babies. Every batch of anti-D that has ever been made in Australia has come from James' blood. And more than 17% of women in Australia are at risk for this disease. Anti-D produced with Harrison's antibodies prevents women with rhesus negative blood from developing RHD antibodies during pregnancy. Even Harrison's own daughter was given the anti-D vaccine. The discovery of Harrison's antibodies was an absolute game changer, Australian officials said. In Australia, up until about 1967, there was literally thousands of babies dying each year. So if you sum that all up, that would be more than 2 million lives, according to the blood service. And for that, Harrison is considered a national hero in Australia. He won numerous awards for his generosity. Now that Harrison has given his last blood donation, in Australia, you can't donate blood for the, past the age of 81. Um, others hope that other people with this will step up. It's a pretty powerful story, isn't it? Amazing story that one man's blood could save so many others who were destined to death. One man's selfless act of love. Every week for 60 years. How many of you just love going to get blood work done? (laughs) Right? I mean, you want to talk about a selfless act of love. And the fact that he would do it willingly is pretty powerful. He had a gift to give, and he could give life to others. But there's... An even more amazing story, isn't there? Is there even a more powerful, amazing story? A story in which you and I, and who knows how many other millions, have also received a blood transfusion, where we have been the recipient of a gift that can never run out, that is ageless and limitless. Jesus was the ultimate antibody for the most destructive disease to ever face mankind, and that is sin. His blood was perfect. And because of its perfection, was able to make others perfect before God. So destructive and so deadly is sin that it leads people daily to eternity separated from God. Hebrews 9, 7, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. That can be one of the most scary, sobering facts. It is the most scary, sobering fact. As we navigate life, to realize that every one of us will face judgment before God. And that's why this verse is so amazing and powerful, because as Jesus walks, so are we. See, God looks down and sees us clothed in righteousness. 
And then verse 17 lends itself to verse 18, which shows the opposite of effect. Because here's how believers can live. They can live in complete fear. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So one of the results of a transformed, genuine believer is that they have no fear in death. They don't fear facing judgment because they're just like Christ. I mean, think about Christ's life on this earth. If anyone had confidence to know when he died and said, it is finished, and he closed his eyes, where was he going to be? Heaven. And we know he came back, resurrected, came back, and now he sits, the end of these verses say he sits next to his Father in heaven. And so we have the same destination because of Jesus Christ. And think about living your life in fear versus living your life faithfully. They're a big difference. Living your life in fear, man, it'll get in the way every day, won't it? As you live out your faith, if you live in a position of fear where, do I really know that I'm a child of God? Imagine the lifetime of loss, of, of impacting lives, growing spiritually in the Lord. But perfect love because God was the perfect sacrifice, we now are being perfected by the perfect one. And that is an amazing result. And that should fill us with hope. Because when you start reading 1 John, I kind of get like, oh, man, there's so many tests. And tests are overwhelming. Some people love taking tests. You're weird, okay? Um, <laughs> but tests become overwhelming, okay? Especially sometimes when it comes to our spiritual things. But when you talk about the Spirit is enlightened and showing us and giving us power in the moment, and then to realize that God looks at us and says, you're perfect, because my son was perfect. You're powerful because my son was powerful. And that same, like Jesus said, it's better that I go, because I'm sending a helper, the Holy Spirit, to help you. Here's, the, here's, here's what it all looks like. Hebrews 12, too. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we live out this confident life where our mission is clear, and we know what we're doing just like Jesus did, and we know that our position is secure in Christ? We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter, of our faith. You see the big difference there? When we're trying to perfect everything, it never works, right? When we try to do it in our own power, I always fall flat. But when you look at Jesus and say, he's the author and perfecter of my faith. Whoa. Mind-blowing. Powerful. These are the results of perfecting love. And as we love God and God abides in us, we don't reach perfection. We know that. We won't reach per perfection on this side of eternity. First John 3, 2, already reminded us of that. For when we see him, we will be like him. 19 to 21, just recap what's been said, what, what true love looks like. You can't say you love God and don't love your brother. And I hope we always keep coming back to that because that's what the call is. Love is transformational as we do with other believers um, because it's, it's how God is working through us, the power of love. So I just want to go back to 2 Corinthians 5.13. And I'll close with this thought, and then we'll just, just take it with you, all right? 2 Corinthians 5.13, and it says, in that verse, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? And then it ties so beautifully with, with, it's almost like John, 50 years later, writing to those, the last living apostle, 
says, let me, let, me, let me just follow up on what Paul said to you believers. Take confidence in this, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unfortunately, I think I live a lot of my time forgetting that simple fact that Jesus Christ is in me. 2.4 million babies or lives will be lived in Australia and around the world with a little part of James Harrison in them. But he's not going to be, after they get the blood transfusion and they live life, they're not going to remember that every day. He just becomes a little part of their story if they even know the story at all. But I'm afraid a lot of us as believers live with a little part of Jesus in us. And we think we can, we can go have a, live as God calls us to live, which is kind of keeping Jesus a little part of our story. When Christ does the redemptive work of salvation, it's not a simple blood transfusion, but a heart transformation. And that's what John is talking about. Jesus has given us life and is meant to be lived abundantly and confidently. In verse 17, and I'll just encourage you just to meditate on this this week because it's powerful. Just as Jesus was, so are you. The result of a genuine believer, we can have the very same confidence that Jesus had that we are truly doing the Father's will. What an encouragement that we can be lived out on this earth. May we be faithful, okay? May we be faithful to this verse as we leave here today and someday stand with Christ and other believers confidently before the throne of God to hear those words, well done. Same confidence. Jesus sitting there at the right hand of God and we can stand there and say, God, I, did, I, I followed you. I gave it all. Let's pray. God, you're good. I thank you for the transformative power of your word. Father, I thank you for the work of the cross. And God, what a powerful thought to think that Christ is not an accessory to life. He's everything. And Father, forgive us for the times that we don't meditate and live that out on a daily basis. God, this, this scripture is so powerful because the sinners were in confusion and they needed clarity. And the gospel is the only thing that can give clarity to every human heart on this earth. So God, may we live in that power. May we live in that clarity as we leave here today. And would you use our testimony and our story because you are the author to impact people that are reading our lives, God. We give you the glory in your name. Amen.